so we just sang a song. This is, this is the air I breathe. Your holy presence within me. And I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. As you examine your hearts this morning, your hearts staying true to that. Are your hearts, and are you living in the moment where, yeah, everything I do, I realize that I am desperate for Jesus. I'm desperate for the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life to the point that you're lost without him. Does that connect to your soul? You're able to honestly say, yeah, you know what? I am desperate for Jesus. That I'm lost without him. Lord Jesus, this morning, may that be the longing of our hearts. May that be what that, that, that fills us. May we live every moment of every day with the mentality that we need you, that we're desperate for you, that we desire for you to fill us, that we desire to walk in your spirit. Lord, we've been in this series and, and we're only two chapters in, not even finished two chapters, and so much has happened. Lord, what's next? Lord, what are you desiring from us this morning? What are you calling us to surrender, to lay down, to jump on to something? What doors are you calling us to open and walk through? What doors are you desiring to close? Lord Jesus, we want to hear from you. We want to know you. We want to be transformed by you, Jesus. So search us. And cut away, Jesus, what needs to be cut away so that we we would be the, the followers of Jesus that you desire for us to be. And so, Lord, we lay down this this moment. We ask that you would speak, Jesus. Allow a fresh anointing of your spirit to come upon us this morning, Jesus. Lord, may we spend time being in this moment so that we can leave here equipped to go be a part of your kingdom building. So speak, Jesus. Lord, we're listening. Amen.
Well, good morning again. What a series that we've been in. We're only two chapters in, maybe only a few days, and so much has happened. But I don't know about you, but this is firing me up. Like, I am pumped and excited to go deeper and deeper in what the the Spirit has to offer and and what the the early church displayed and how we are to live within what Luke wrote. But this week, we hit on a pretty interesting topic this morning, and we answer the question, what is a church? What should the the, the focus of the church be? And we can see here, and we can say, and you hear, right, that the church is not a building, but a people. We know that this building that we live in, or we live in, that we worship in, is a congregation. It's a building that, as a congregation, we come and we worship Jesus. We know and understand that there is one church, but many congregations. But what makes that a congregation in line with what Jesus desires. What should each congregation, while different, what are the the, the core components that they should focus on? But maybe you've asked someone this question. So where do you go to church? And you might get the response of, oh, I'm not into organized religion. I'm not a fan of of religion. I I don't go to a church or a congregation, but I'm a Christian. Have you ever had that? Have you ever found someone who says, I'm a Christian, but I don't go anywhere? (sighs) To be honest, I I have a lot of concerns there. And we're going to begin to talk about why I have those concerns. Or maybe you heard someone say, I don't go to church, but my buddies and I, we go out on the boat and we fish in God's creation. Okay, so you like going fishing with your buddies, but is that a church? No. Or maybe you heard someone say, well, we have a parachurch ministry. So my mom, she got some sort of Bible study, and I dropped my kids off of at a youth group somewhere. And we have these things going, but we don't go to a congregation. Or maybe... Your college kids, they they do their thing, and we kind of have this various collection of ministries that we're involved in, but we really don't have a church. Or maybe someone say, we don't have a church, but we listen to praise music on the radio, and we downloaded some podcasts and put put it all together in this big, huge stew, and for us, that's our church. Is that church, according to Scripture? Not really. Those are great things worshiping Jesus together, going out in God's creation with your buddies, talking about Jesus, those things are all good. Or maybe, and I know that this is probably going to ruffle some feathers, but maybe you're here and you're like, well, where two or three are gathered, there I'm in the midst of them. And you're like, yeah, that's church. But I got news for you. That scripture is not about the church. When you look at Matthew 18, where that comes from, it's actually a common definition for church discipline. And what Matthew in that moment is saying, that where two or three are gathered, 
It is so important for church discipline. For when you're wrestling with sin and different things, there, 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 there needs to be a number of witnesses a church should require to untangle some sort of relational sinful knots. It's a great verse, don't get me wrong, but it has nothing to do with the definition of a church. And so this morning, while those verses are great, and while worshiping Jesus with your family is fantastic, there are specific requirements for a church that is laid out here in Acts 2. But last week, we dove into Peter's first sermon, and it was great, and it was relevant, and practical, and scriptural, and Jesus-focused, and it was straight to the point And it was to the point that many people are like, Peter, what do we do? We're convicted of something. What is happening? It says that 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. Let's back up here. Here's Peter that about 50 days ago, what did he do? He denied Jesus. Here's a man that fully denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And here's a man who who couldn't accept who Jesus was. And then the resurrection happened, and Jesus restores Peter on the shore when when, when he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, I do. Well, then feed my sheep. And he asked that three times to restore every single time that Peter denied Jesus. And so here's Peter, forgiven, transformed by the resurrection, and he's boldly proclaiming Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And I want to tell you this. If Peter himself can deny Jesus three times, then there's nothing that you can do that will ever get you out of the love of Jesus. No matter your past, no matter your story, no matter your history, we have this man who denied Jesus three times. And you are never out of reach of Christ's love. Christ's death and resurrection is for you. And the gospel isn't just for the lost. Not only about you, but I read this, and the gospel is for believers as well. But we have to remember this, that the power that Peter spoke wasn't of his own power. It came from the Spirit. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever tried to do something under your own power and strength? And you realize you couldn't. Being young and naive and sometimes a little too prideful, I I tend to do that a lot. Where I think, oh, I can lift that. I'm strong enough. And I go to lift it and I'm like... Right? And, And you put it down you realize you couldn't do it. This is why, first and foremost, as a church, we desperately desire the work of the Spirit in our lives. But second, Peter also recognized that what we're going to see throughout the New Testament is that he couldn't lead the church by himself. While he was empowered by the Spirit, there was many things that happened and many leaders, which is why as a church, we preach plurality of leadership. Because not only do we need the Spirit, but we need each other. This church is not about me. Matter of fact, I don't want a pastor-centric church. I want a church that is elder-led. Because when we look at the Bible, that's exactly what we see. A church that is based off teamwork 
a church that is based off unity within that teamwork. And we move forward together in the power of the Spirit. But this man, this Peter, man, did he do some great things. God. Here's a definition of Acts that I love what Louis Giglio said. If you want some kind of definition of Acts, this is it. God has provided supernatural power so that the gospel can be preached in that power so that the church then can be born and can flourish around the world. When we look at the book of Acts, this is what we see. We see supernatural power so that the gospel can reach the ends of the world, so that the church can begin and thrive. When the Holy Spirit came, the church began. So what is the church? Well, let's look at Acts 2 this morning, starting in verse 41. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we, as we say our Bible passage this morning together. Starting in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You guys can be seated. So in this moment, the church was formed. But we have to understand first and foremost that the church didn't form out of preaching. The church didn't form out of worship music. The church formed out of prayer. The disciples themselves were praying and the Holy Spirit came. And so prayer is at the center and the start of what church is. But here are the components. Here are the things, right? We understand this, is that the church is a community where every single one of us can find a place and contribute in a significant way. The church on day one was like this. But we got to ask, what should the church be today? There is this 120 people who were worshiping and praying, the Holy Spirit came, and then bam, 3,000 more people came. If we were to look at that, that would be a megachurch. All together, worshiping Jesus. But here's what I love, is that they didn't stay there. They went home to their families. They went home to their communities. And we see that, that the gospel advanced all around the world, and so big church was made small, and small church made big when it talks about house churches and meeting in their homes. And they had favor with all people, and the Lord added to their numbers. Our desire is someone will come to know Jesus, and that was Peter's desire. 
But what I see here, and this is the first thing we got to understand, is that the church wasn't about settling. What do I mean by that? That the people in this church weren't about just coming and sitting in a pew. They desired to move. They desired to be pioneers, which advanced the gospel, which advanced the kingdom. They didn't sit still. And we see it that the Lord kept adding to their number. Why? Because they desired to be living in obedience to the mission that Jesus has for us. But we have to understand this. The church isn't about what happens in these four walls. The church is about what happened in the tomb. Jesus, raising from the dead, ascending and sending the Holy Spirit and and giving us a mission, that is what the church is about. So what did they do after they accepted Jesus? They went home, which means that the gospel went into their families. We understand from this point, right? At this point, Jerusalem is the epicenter of where the church started. And over the next couple chapters, we're going to spend time seeing what God did in Jerusalem. But what were the components of this church? What were they doing that distinguished themselves from any social club that we go to? Like, we can go to a golf social club, but that's just a social club. We can go to a sports venue and root for a team, but that's all that is. So what distinguishes church from that? Well, first and foremost, the Holy Spirit, right? And we understand that. But if we were going to look at this, if prayer and the Holy Spirit were were at the foremost of what is happening, well, what's next? Well, it's this. We understand from this that a spirit-filled church is devoted to the preaching and teaching of God's word. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to everything that they had in front of them. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the apostles taught and they preached, and the people were devoted to that. Church, I can't tell you how many people I hear who say that they go to a church where the Bible isn't preached. And I got to say, that's not a church. If the Bible isn't being preached, it's not a church. They can call themselves that, but they are not a church. Why? Because the founding of the church, the foundation of any believer is Scripture. We know, and we sang, right? This is my daily bread. Your very word is the foundation of the church without preaching and teaching of God's word. There is no church. Now, if you notice by now, one of the things that I enjoy, we, we as a church, we, we enjoy preaching through series books of the Bible and we have some topical stuff mixed in. But I'm afraid that sometimes topical stuff, while have verses, can sometimes be out of context from what Jesus originally intended. And so why preaching sermons on uh, how to have a healthy marriage and, and how to parent well, those things are crucially important. If we truly want to understand the Bible, it's so important that we go from beginning to end of a book to get the full context. And so a spirit-filled church, if we, and the title of today's message is reawakening to a spiritual church because I see more and more churches going away from the Bible. 
And more and more churches are, are preaching relativism, and they're preaching how to be happy, and they're preaching on all these things and how to live a good life. And while some of those are, are not bad, they're missing the total context of what we should be doing. Because as a church and as a leadership team, we are held accountable for what we teach and preach to you guys. And if we're not pointing you to Jesus, but we are pointing you to, to, to something that maybe looks like Jesus, but really isn't Jesus, but we're not doing the job that God has called us to do. We are a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. We believe that it is the perfect, it is in authority that everything else is to be subject to this truth. And that the big idea of the Bible is the person and work of Jesus. And if we want to know the person and work of Jesus, then we have to open up his word. No other, no other book is fully inspired by the Spirit than the Bible. And while books are written based out of the Bible, this is the foundation of all of that. And if we're not preaching this, and we're not living out of this, then, then we're not a church. Where there is no preaching and teaching of the Bible about Jesus, there is no church. This might be a social club if there's no preaching, or a civic organization, or maybe a social justice group. But we have to understand this, is that prayer and preaching of the word must be foundational. And so if you're going, if, if, if you call this home, or maybe one day, you know, like, that, that God is like, hey, I'm calling you to another, to another congregation, and that is you, and God's leading you away at some point, or, or maybe you have friends and family who are looking for church, and they're asking, what are the things that we should be focusing on? My hope is this, is that they focus on the preaching and teaching before they focus on the style of music. Because centrality to the church is not the music. It's prayer and preaching of the word. And if you go to a church and you're like, man, this is great music. I love the music, but they don't preach the Bible. Get out, run. Because that is not a church that is centered upon Jesus. We, and we get it, right? I love music. I listen to it all the time. It is a part of who I am. But we cannot base a belonging to a church off of the music. We have to base it on whether or not they are holding true to the word of God. Look, music is a biblical response to God's word, but we cannot build our church on music. Mark Dever said this, a church built on music or whatever style is a church built on shifting sands. Because why? Because music changes, styles change, but the living word of God never does. And it stays true. So a spirit-filled church is devoted to preaching and teaching. A spirit-filled church values the fellowship of believers. They devoted, they, they gathered, and they fellowshiped to each other. There is something significant about gathering with believers. God's people value and make gathering with other believers a priority. The Greek word for fellowship here is koinonia, which means this. It's, it's, it's a participation. It's a sharing in. It's a communion. It's spiritual fellowship. And they fellowship in the spirit. This word fellowship here doesn't appear until now. It doesn't appear until after the Spirit came. Why? Because this fellowship goes deeper than just getting together to hang out. This is a sharing of something that is in common, which is the Spirit. This was the first time that it was used. 
And here, this emphasis of this word is on contributing or giving. It's this fellowship here cost the early church something. It cost them their lives. It cost them dedication. It cost them time and energy. What we have to understand this is that the Christian life is not about isolation. If you meet Christians who say, I'm a believer, but I don't go to church anywhere, like, I'm going to question that. And I know for some of them, there may be hurt. And so there might be a time where they're healing and trying to figure out. But if they're, as believers, if they love Jesus, then they want to desperately desire to be with the people of God. There's this hunger that's in them to connect with believers because there is a commonality, which is the Spirit. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the days draw near. We know, right, that Jesus is returning. And the writer of Hebrews, in this moment, he's dealing with a lot of persecuted Christians. These Christians are, 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 some of them are, are tempted not to gather because they're afraid of what could happen. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't neglect that. Because there's something special about the believers gathering together to encourage and edify each other. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. We don't know when this is going to happen, but we have to understand this, that if the scriptures talk about one another over a hundred times in scripture, then there's something significant about that. We have to understand that as we gather to worship God, Mark Dever says this, and exercise love and good deeds towards one another We demonstrate in real life, you might say, the fact that God has reconciled us to himself and to one another. We demonstrate to the world that we have been changed, not primarily because we memorize Bible verses, pray before meals, tithe a portion of our income, and listen to Christian radio stations, but because we increasingly show a willingness to put up with, to forgive, and even to love a bunch of sinners. That's the beauty of the church, is that we come together to love each other, and we're all in need of Jesus. We're all broken, being restored by Christ. And if you want to tell the world that something special is happening, then show them a church that loves each other, even though we have differences, even though there's struggles. When we show it, so this world what it looks like to love and to serve and to support each other in unity, Man, there's something special about that. And so believers value fellowship. They value communing together. They value giving up everything for the sake of doing this collectively as a whole. And so a spirit-filled church prioritizes celebrating communion and eating meals together. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. And if you look at this verse, many people are not only thinking that it's about communion, but it's about meals. It's about fellowship. It's about eating together. And if you want to know why I love eating together so much, and it's something I hear, man, like, you love to eat with people way too much. It's because of verses like this that say do it, that encourage it. 
We see church, a church that is willing to gather, to, 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 to commune, right? To, to celebrate God's death and resurrection together, but also to have meals together and to eat together. And so these are why I stress that we should have meals, that we should fellowship, that we should commune together because it is biblical and food's delicious, <laughs> right? The gathering of God's people, the church, makes the Lord's Supper and eating together a priority. In the, the NLT, it actually says, so the ESV is what we read, but in the NLT it says, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. Look, one of the greatest combinations is Jesus and food. And this is why I love it. And this is why the church was so powerful and so strong and, and nothing that happened could pull them apart. It's because they were so in fellowship with each other that they supported, encouraged each other. And when one was hurting, they were all there to support and to encourage them together. And so a spirit-filled church prioritizes celebrating communion and eating meals together. A spirit-filled church follows Christ and leads from their knees. You want a church that is biblical? A church that is Christ-centered? Look about how often they pray. Do they prioritize prayer? Do they prioritize not only uh, uh, praying at meals or um, you know, a prayer at the start of service, but do they value, intentionally value prayer? which is why for us, which is why we started our Wednesday night prayers because we recognize that the importance of it. And we recognize while there was a season where we didn't have it, we had to understand that if we want to be a centered spirit-led church, then prayer has to be a priority for us, which is why we do have Wednesday night, which is why during service I have the elders come up and pray, which is why prayer is a lot of what we do because if you remember what Dan said, in the Alliance, we believe that prayer is the primary work of God's people. And if you want to know a Christ-centered, Christ-loving church, then ask yourself, do they pray? And do they prioritize prayer? Jim Samala, and I read this to the, the, the prayer group the other, uh, a couple weeks ago. He said this, have you ever noticed that Jesus launched the Christian church not while someone was preaching, but while people were praying? In the first two chapters of Acts, the disciples were doing nothing but waiting on God as they were just sitting there worshiping, communion with God, letting God shape them and cleanse their spirits and do those heart operations that the only spirit can do. And the church was born. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And he continues in that. And he has this, this um, kind of grudge or complaint against the church when the church is complaining that, 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 that prayer and things were taken out of school but yet they weren't doing it in their church. If we want a world to change, then we have to be that catalyst. And if we want to be the catalyst, then we first and foremost have to do it within our congregations and within the people that we gather. We can't expect the world to be centered upon prayer if churches aren't centered upon prayer. We realize that we cannot move forward with any type of programs or ministries without prayer. We cannot rush our development or begin to figure out who we are as a congregation without communing with the one who speaks. Which is why you might be saying, well, why don't we have this ministry and this ministry and these things going on? Because we don't want to jumpstart 
when God wants to speak first and foremost. And so we pray, God, where are you desiring for us to start? We don't start a ministry because we see a church down the street have that ministry. We start ministries because God is saying, yes, that's exactly what I want you to do at that congregation. And so we pray, and we're going to spend time praying and praying over this next year and over years to come, figuring out who we are and what God has called us to do, which is why if if you look at any of the board and elder agendas, there is a section titled discernment where we spend time praying as a board, as an elder team, because we want it to be a priority. The Bible says that awe came over them. And so a spiritual church reveres Christ. The word for worship or, or the fear of the Lord. When, when, when we say, hey, you must fear the Lord, it's not this, uh, you must be afraid of the Lord. It must mean that you revere him, that you're in all of him, that you lift him up, that you worship him in everything that you are, in your whole entire being. And so a spirit-filled church lifts and reveres and worships Jesus and Jesus alone. A spirit-filled church is not about pleasing the community, first and foremost, or, or, or pleasing people in the church. A church's primary role is to bring glory to Jesus, first and foremost. And out of that can lead effectively. So there might be things that as a church we desire to revere Christ that may offend you, but the, the reality is, is that our hearts are for Jesus and Jesus alone. And so a spiritual church lifts Jesus up, reveres Christ as Lord and Savior. They worship Jesus. And what I see here is that when they revere Christ as Lord, favor is brought. Things are happening. So a spirit-filled church releases their assets and doesn't protect them. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look, as they revered Christ and as they worshiped Christ, this spirit-led church led them to be generous. A Christ-loving church is generous people. What do I mean by that? It is so easy for churches to begin to shrink and finances begin to struggle that they're like, well, what's going to happen a couple of years from now? So let's not spend, let's not give to the community, let's protect ourselves, let's focus on what's inside the church and what happens. It's dead. When a church stops investing in the kingdom, it stops being a church. And so what do we believe as a district? What do we believe as a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 alliance part of the Alliance family is that we believe that everything we have is for the kingdom. So we're not about protecting our assets, trying to get ourselves 10 years from now because we can protect and not spend and not invest and our doors can still close. But I don't know about you, but as a leadership team, we're on board saying that we're going to invest in the kingdom of God. And if we invest and the doors still close, then we did exactly what Christ has us to do. And so we're not going to be a church that wants to hold. We want a church that that blesses. We want to be a church that builds into the kingdom. We want to be a church that invests in the community. We want to be a church that invests in each other. And that does require spending. It does require finances. But we don't want to be a church that says, this is all for us. We We have to protect it so that we can keep our lights on. We want to be a church that is spirit filled 
desperately desiring to invest in the kingdom and remain faithful to what Christ is calling us to do. And that is to make disciples. That is to evangelize the lost. That is to to show that people matter. It's not about us. It's about Christ and worshiping Jesus. While this doesn't mean that we're just going to spend freely, nilly, and, and, and do all these things, which is why we have a budget, which is why we want to be um, effective with our money, but we also want to invest in the kingdom, and we want to see the kingdom grow. We're a church that believes, and not about doing things to grow our church, but doing things to invest in the kingdom, and allow God to do what he does best. I remember a, a church when I first got saved. And at the time, I, you know, the church w- was great. And, and unfortunately, leadership and things changed. But I remember getting saved and, and led to Christ by these two ladies from this Baptist church. And it was around Christmas time. And they knew that we were struggling financially. My dad just lost his job. We were struggling. And, and we go to sleep and we wake up to a driveway full of cars wanting to give us Christmas gifts. Wanting to give us food. The oil company came and said, hey, this load of oil is free. That was when we had an oil tank. But it was at that moment that I knew that Christ was real. I believed in Jesus. I accepted him. But it's these moments where the church shows up and shows that they're generous people that Christ is displayed. And it was because of that moment that I said, all right, God, you're real. This confirmed it for me. Church, I, I love the, the, of, of who this church is. Honestly, like this church here blows me away with how generous this church is. Like this church last year gave $27,000 to missions. Look around. There's 30 people here. Larger churches don't even do that. But I firmly believe that regardless of how big they are, a church is a generous church. A healthy church desires to see the kingdom invested and impacted. Which is why we have um, a compassion fund. Because we want to be generous. We want to love and edify each other. And if there are, are people in this church who are in need, like we want to be a part of that. If there's people in the community that are in need, we want to bless them. But we want to be a church that is generous. A spirit-filled church thrives in unity. If you look at these passages, they were all for each other. They were on the same page. They had all things in common. Not that they all looked alike. Not that they all enjoyed some of the, uh, everyone enjoyed the same things, the same food. But they had all things in common. Why? Because they knew that their mission was Jesus. They knew that everything they had was for Jesus, for Christ. And so they, we church, a group of believers who were unified, They aren't in uniformity. We're never saying to be in uniformity. We're not saying to march the same, walk the same, look the same, dress the same, uh, sing this and and love the same style of music or anything like that. What it's saying is that unity is all about walking together for the same in purpose, and that is Jesus and the good news of Jesus. This can only happen through the Spirit. That's what makes the church stand out from the world is that our unity is empowered by the Spirit. And when we walk in that unity, there is nothing the enemy can do. 
But disunity and dysfunction are the death of a church. I mean, how, to be honest, how many people know of a church in this community that came because of a split? That came because of disagreements? That came because of things that they, they disagreed on? And so instead of working together for one common goal, they split and they started more churches. Do you know a majority of churches in America start because of church splits? They're not organic church plants. They are literally people saying, I don't like this, and so we're going to pull all these people, and we're going to plant this church. This even happens by pastors who leave one church and plant a church a community over. And we want to know why the world's looking at the church going, what is going on? It's because they're in disunity. Christ is calling us to unity. Christ is calling us to know him. Whatever happens, Paul says in Philippians, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. All the believers were in one heart and one mind, Acts 4, chapter, and we're going to get there, but Acts 4.32 says, all believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that they had any of their possessions were of their own, but they shared everything they had. Disunity is not a function of the Spirit. And if a church is living in disunity and there's disgruntles and there's fights and there's conflict and all of these things that are happening, then I'm going to question whether or not they're a Spirit-filled church. We have, yes, we're people, we have differences and, and disagreements are going to come, but what happens when they disagree and they walk forward? Do they work to, to learn to work together? Do they learn to, to walk in unity over the common purpose of the gospel? Or do they keep fighting? Finally, a spirit-filled church remains faithful to Christ while the spirit builds the church. You want to know a church that is spirit-filled? It's one that is focused on faithful to Jesus and no one else. It's one that's not worried about what people are going to fully think or have a certain style of worship because they think that that's what they have. Here at Faith Bible, we have a wide variety of things. Why? Because we believe that the gospel is so good. Look, I, I, I used to be a part of the immaturity of, of the worship wars and having all of these things. And, and what, as I grew and matured in my faith, I realized that we're not worshiping me. We're worshiping Jesus. And I don't know about you, But I don't think any type of music ceases to worship Jesus if it's Christ-centered. Or, but, as a church, we have to remain faithful to his word. We cannot, we cannot waver from this. We cannot waver because we want more people to come through our doors. Look, I want Faith Bible here, this congregation to grow, but not at the expense of my faithfulness in Jesus. I would rather us be a small church remaining faithful to Jesus than to be a church that only wants to attract and, and, and give people what they want to hear. And so I'm going to preach things that are going to rub you the wrong way. Why? Because it's biblical. And last time I checked, the Bible offends everyone in some way. Why? Because we're still wrestling with our flesh. But I cannot, in, in what Christ has called me and my calling to be a pastor, I cannot lead you guys away from Jesus. I have to remain faithful, but I have to understand this, and I firmly believe it, that they were remaining faithful, and so God grew their church. What do I mean by this? 
What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean that Christ grew their numbers? While they, it wasn't that they just sat there and all of a sudden 4,000 more people came through the door. It's because they were remaining faithful to the mission of Jesus. They were remaining faithful to the Great Commission. They were out evangelizing, which is our calling, and Christ is the one that saved them, not us. Christ is the one that grows the church in itself. I, I, I want more people. But it's not at the expense of bucks and butts in the pews. It's because they believe in Jesus and they want to follow him. And they're ready to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. But these men, these men and women and children and, and Christ growing them is because they remain faithful to what Christ had for them. They desired to see people come to know Jesus, to get baptized, and to grow in their faith. They desired to see every man and woman and child experience the filling of the Spirit. To experience what it means to come alive again. That is why Christ grew their church. He didn't grow their church because they had fancy lights or... Um, and, and don't get me wrong, like, like, as a building, like, yeah, we update our building because Christ is giving us a building and there are things that we need to do to keep up with that because Christ has given us good stewards of everything we have here. And there's nothing wrong with lights and, and musical instruments and different style of music and none of that. But none of that means anything if we fall away from Jesus. None of that means anything if we don't draw people to Jesus. What is our desire? Is our desire to please people or is our desire to lead people into holiness in Jesus? That is what it means to be a spirit-filled church. A church that is devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to being generous, to living out our mission of evangelism. Church, we are going to be an inward-outward church. We are going to be a church that focuses on discipleship, but we're going to also be a church that focuses on evangelizing to the lost, of reaching our community. Both are important. There is a danger of being inward-focused where we just focus on each other and fully outward-focused. Because outward-focused, like, people can't be reached if, if believers aren't discipled and aren't equipped to share their faith. And so we are going to be a church that focuses on discipleship, that focuses on evangelizing the lost, but we're going to be a church that remains faithful to Jesus because that is what a spirit-filled church looks like. And there are other things that we can go through in Scripture. These are only a few, but I'm going to invite Junior to come up and lead us in prayer.